How do you grow your school in this fast-changing landscape? This is what we talk about on School Growth Mastery. School marketing, fundraising, leadership and much more. Alex, Al and Andrew from Enroll Hand bring on a diverse list of guests and give you practical takeaways. If you feel like sharing or rating us, you'll help us grow as well. Today we have Amy Anderson with us, a former division head of the Colorado Department of Education and the founder of the Odyssey School, a Denver charter school. She's currently the executive director of ReSchool Colorado. Amy, trying to explain ReSchool's ambitious mission to a friend, I'd say you have a very optimistic outlook. Instead of simply frowning upon the old factory model of school, you see vibrant communities where more learning experiences are emerging than ever before. You see a growing opportunity gap because many families can't navigate this complex menu of learning. So you're trying to help them coordinate. Did I catch that right in kind of broad strokes? Yeah, I think you did. Um, you know, the, the way I got to starting reschool was after working for over 20 years in the current K-12 education system in various ways. Um, and I just want to tell you a brief story. I had a chance while I was at the Department of Education to travel to Brazil um, wow. back in 2012. And when I got there, um, it was at a time when Brazil was preparing for the World Cup and for the Olympics um, that were going to be coming to Rio, where I was. Mm-hmm. And the favelas that sat above the city um, were areas where they were trying to pacify them. And, and that was how they described it, which is make them um, safer so that people didn't feel worried coming to Rio. And in the process of doing that, um, kids who had been living up in the favelas were starting to engage in the school system in ways that they had historically not engaged in the school system. And what inspired me at that point was that instead of um, being limited exclusively to the existing K-12 system that existed in Rio, um, they had they saw this as an opportunity to create a new path, a fresh start, a parallel system, if you will, that would allow kids to opt into something that was leapfrogging basically over the current and starting something that was designed for today. And that is really a big part of the inspiration that led me to come back from there and actually leave the department to say, what if we could do something like that too? What if we could start a new system that sat parallel to the existing system in, in different ways that could be a new option for kids? Um, and it's been an interesting journey since then. While I was doing my research for this chat, I, I, I summoned up on a video of you talking and you were expl- you were describing an imaginary scenario of a small Colorado campus that was destroyed, I think, by a hurricane. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> Can you explain? Because it looks like that was inspired from your real experience or, or anyway, trying to kind of frame the, the listeners into this uh, can, can, can you describe that example, that imaginary scenario a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, what I've found is that it's really hard for people to get their heads around what could be um, when they're so engaged in what is today, you know, and I had the same challenge when I was working within the Department of Education. You're so busy running the existing system and you have a lot of work and a lot of smart people that are doing great jobs with that, but you don't have the, the time and space often to say, let me look up and say what where I want to head or what could be the possibilities going forward that might be very different from how we currently operate things. So I've found that um, using scenarios that are grounded in something that's fairly realistic um, is a helpful way for people to get their heads out of the current into a place of what could be. And so 
the example you're talking about was a, a talk I did for the Colorado Education Initiative a few years ago. And the previous um, fall before that talk, there had been a horrible hailstorm here in Colorado that kind of destroyed a shopping mall in Golden, Colorado, um, to the point where they had to shut the shopping mall down for almost a year in order to rebuild it. And I thought, okay, well, what if I use that as an example of a town where you could see something very similar happening? A storm could take out all of the existing school buildings as we know them. All the people are still there, the educators, the kids, the parents, the community as a broader sense, and, and have people walk through a scenario of how would they continue to engage kids in meaningful learning experiences without the existing structures that had typically housed those experiences. And and that I've used that scenario actually in group workshops. Um, and it's very interesting to see the creativity that comes from people's minds when they start to rethink how the system could function and operate um, in, in different ways when, when you leverage community assets more purposefully, when you think about learning happens everywhere. Um, and it starts to really give you a sense of, of what a more expansive and equitable ecosystem could look like than, um, than how we've currently organized ourselves to date. Can you talk a bit more about leveraging community assets? What does that mean? Yeah, so, um, you know, when, when we started this work, um, we shadowed families uh, and, um, and understood kind of how they were accessing the current learning for their kids today. You know, what were the challenges that they were facing? What were the opportunities that they were interested in that they might not have access to? The families that we were shadowing were predominantly Spanish-speaking um, families living in Boulder, Colorado, um, in subsidized housing. And we, we did this in partnership with um, the housing authority up there. Um, and what we learned from these families is that they are accessing school and, and you know, there are definitely challenges as it relates to school um, and, uh, and opportunities that they're trying to seek for their kids through school. But where the real gap started to surface was that where many Boulder families, where it's a fairly affluent community, are filling up the kind of 75% of a kid's day outside of school um, with music lessons and summer camps and travel and all of these various experiences. If you were a family that did not have access to those kinds of resources, basically the money to pay for those kinds of things, and as well as other kinds of barriers, um, those kids were really missing out. There was a huge gap between kids who were accessing and not accessing what we've now talked about as out-of-school learning. And the assets in the community are all of the different learning providers and operators um, who exist across this expansive ecosystem, school being a big part of it, but then you have museums and libraries and um, community-based organizations and summer programming and um, use, you know, a variety of experiences where um, if kids have access to those types of learning opportunities, they start to build and develop passions and interests that guide their future decisions about who they want to be and what they want to do in their lives. And they develop relationships with people who are in the community, broader community that are meaningful towards their futures. And that's where we've spent the majority of our research and time and, and prototyping of new concepts in this out-of-school space because we see it as an, uh, a space for innovation. And we're, and we're not trying to compete with the existing system. We see a, an important value in school and, and what is it that kids get from school that's really meaningful and necessary. And then what are the things that we can get in addition to school that are going to help shape their futures? And from all the discussions we're having with school leaders, they are under strain. The system is under strain. Teachers are underpaid, overwork, 
they they just can't um, they, they a lot of them can't cope and can't deliver the uh, the quality education that they know they they would like to. I mean, a lot of the experts are saying just just empower the teachers, uh, but they don't have the time or the resources. Is this kind of by leveraging community assets? Do you think that that might have a positive effect on school, like taking some of the load off the current infrastructure and people? Absolutely. I know. I think that um, it it absolutely has that potential. And, you know, we do try to put everything on the backs of school um, more and more and more and more. And it's just getting exhausting, as you say. Um, So I think it would be a really interesting conversation to say what is realistic and the right thing for kids during the hours that they and the times of year that they're in school that the system can handle and wants to um, engage in, you know, and and then what are the th- kinds of things that we could look beyond school um, in terms of there's tons of assets that already exist. I mean, we've run a website for the last few years called Blueprint for Summer. And part of why we wanted to run it is we wanted to see who were the providers that exist in this out of school space. Do we have gaps in certain places and and what kinds of services and opportunities are they offering and how do we give people access to that information? And so we've learned that there are a lot of teachers and educators who do things in the out-of-school space um, in addition to teaching within schools, or they have created, you know, more of a gig economy kind of a job where they might teach part-time and then they're actually engaging and running summer programming for kids in an entrepreneurial kind of context. So I also feel like this more expansive system provides a way for um, expanding opportunity for educators um, and kids, of course, uh, and also creating a a space for, people to try new things in ways that are hard harder to do in the current system. I, I fully agree with that. I think, though, uh, we've had, uh, so far we've been chatting on a somewhat kind of theoretical frame, and maybe we have our school leaders listening in and thinking, ooh, nice, if I could use more of the community to to kind of coordinate and, and, and have a better learning experience as a whole with more out-of-school experience, that'd be great. But let's give them some examples. I mean, just, sure. just to give some color, maybe you can talk more about your, your summer uh, kind of investigations or you, you've talked about community share or IOWIG, Iowa big in the past, whatever you want, just maybe give one or two more colorful examples of, of what you're seeing so that they can wrap their heads around it. Sure. So um, when we are kind of going back to our initial research where we shadowed families, um, in addition to this gap in in terms of access to the ecosystem, another big piece of um, what came from that research was that families also uh, were looking for some kind of resources and support to build upon the knowledge that they already had um, about their kids and about what existed in the community. and, and the idea of having someone who could be a coach, what we've called a learner advocate, who could, who could walk alongside families and, and build upon that, that expertise and, and strengthen the capacity that families have to access learning for their kids um, in a variety of spaces. So the, the role of learner advocate started in, in our work in Boulder in that initial summer where families were um, given kind of a, a debit card to plan their kids' summer um, with a certain amount of money, depending on how many kids they had. And they had the support of other parents from in that community who were the parents that families tended to lean on when they needed some extra support. We trained those parents to become learner advocates. Um, and they co kind of co-designed and planned the summer of learning for their kids together with the resources they had. And we learned a ton from that experience. 
And the value of having this learner advocate was um, something that families really wanted more of. And so the housing authority there actually took that concept and has expanded it and they've continued to grow that. And we, you know, continue to interact with them um, occasionally around that. Um, we thought that there has to be other ways that we can build out this capacity of learner advocates in different contexts that housing authority is one space, but where else could we meet families where they're at? And we thought about, well, let's think about where people work. Uh, so we have, for the last few years, partnered with a couple of employers in town. And as an employee benefit, any working parent in these two hospitals can have access to our learner advocate network and to, to negotiate and like look for information and plan everything from school choice and, and school related challenges like kids who may have IEPs to school and, and and a lot of time is about summer and parents are working. So what do I do with my kids over the summer? And and so um, this idea of having a system where every family had access to learner advocates that could reside in different contexts um, is, is part of the reschool vision is how do we catalyze that at a system level? How do we leverage organizations that already work with families in various contexts and equip them with the skills and tools and resources they need to um, meet the demands and needs of the families and their communities. So if, if, I'm, if I may to understand this well, so the learner advocates, your, your learner advocate network, these are people who are so, something like a guidance counselor for parents, uh, K-12 parents, that that will map or, or access resources you have or uh, a map uh, kind of a potential plan for out of school experience of kids for summer kind of um, summer activities for kids and help the parents navigate this explosion of options that, that exist and maybe they're not aware of uh, low cost or free options for electives for stuff like that. Is that right? Yeah, that's catching the majority of it. I'd say the couple of pieces that I'd add is at the very early stage of working with a learner advocate, and um, you know, a parent, parents engage with an advocate for various reasons. So we have some parents who might engage with an advocate over a very acute need, like a, a, one of our parents that we are currently working with originally reached out because her daughter had been diagnosed with ADHD and she didn't understand or know how to navigate that system, you know, of, of, of learning for her kid daughter now that she had this new information. She was able to equip herself fairly quickly with um, a set of skills and, and the right questions to ask and try some things and come back to her advocate a couple of times. And then she was kind of good to go. You know, she had, a, um, she had, and then she periodically checks back, but we have other families who um, will engage for different reasons. Like they're new to the country and they want to engage with an advocate over a much longer period of time to really strengthen their understanding of the system and how to navigate it. And, and that those conversations are anchored at least in the early stages around who who are we as a family and and what do I aspire and want for my kids? We spend time talking to the kids themselves about who are you as a learner and what are you interested in trying and exploring and what are some of your challenges? And, and then after having kind of that get to know you stage of building some trust and understanding of each other, then we start to take a look at what exists out in the ecosystem? How does the intersection of school and learning that happens everywhere start to feed some of those desires and interests um, that they have as a family? So I think that piece is something I would add. The other piece I would add is um, that we raised uh, a variety of private dollars um, at ReSchool to help offset some of the costs of accessing learning that happens, especially outside of school, um, and, and also for things like transportation. We're trying to break down some of the barriers to access 
that um, that families encounter when they're trying to access learning for their kids, and then think about how we could make changes at a system level to address some of those barriers that are surfacing in our in our direct work with families. So when, when you talk about the system level, I mean, how would this scale? So for, first, how would this uh, yeah, scale, if I may, uh, within Boulder or even outside, what's your, what's your vision for that? How do you think that could happen? Yeah, I mean, so we're working now, not just in Boulder, our, our employer partners are in Denver. Um, nice. And then we've done some other work in other parts of the state. Um, but the way, one of the big plays that we're working on right now in terms of scale is to seek um, a ballot initiative that we are hoping to run in 2020. And the ballot initiative is informed largely from all of this work that we've been doing these last few years. But what it would allow for is out-of-school learning scholarships um, for kids to access learning that happens beyond the walls of school. Um, and so it, it enables like a new pot of money that is in addition to what kids you know, have for school. We're not, you know, they still would go to school as they normally would, but now they would also have a pot of money that they could have access to and direct toward learning that happens outside of school as a way of trying to eliminate some of the gap um, and opportunity that we see between kids who have resources um, and come from higher income families and, and kids who have less resources and don't, don't have the, the money to do that. Um, we can't continue to just do it through raising private dollars or hoping that we have you know, employer partners who are interested in, in working with us. We need to see how we can get this out there more broadly for kids across the state. Nice. That's a great, uh, that's a great initiative. Um, and presumably this could be then a model and in the future, do you see it uh, expanding beyond the state? I mean, if I, if I can reframe the question, uh, listening to a, an interview you had with uh, Tom Van Der Ark, and I link the, the, the podcast in the show notes, you, you talked a lot about how guidance is becoming the new constraint and you're kind of solving that with that, with the Learner Advocate Network because when you have too much choice, then guidance is necessary. Do you see uh, similar initiatives happening in other states? Do you think it's a trend and we see more funds allocated towards that in the coming years or is it very early and too early to say? I feel like we're seeing more of a shift in, in, in the last like couple, year to year and a half than I definitely saw in the early years of starting reschool. I feel like there are more people who are starting to talk about the fact that learning does happen everywhere. And if we're really running learner-centered systems, then we need to validate and um, you know give kids access to learning that is going to continue to set them on a trajectory towards successful lives. And, and we can't restrict that learning to solely the learning that happens within the hours of school. It's school and. Um, and so what I, 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 I see more and more conversation about that. In terms of the navigation piece, there are some other groups out there that are, are playing around with that um, in, in interesting ways. And, um, and and what we're trying to identify is who are some of the groups in Colorado that are interacting with families and working with them to navigate systems, whether they be education systems or housing or other kinds of like refugee families new to the country. How are they? What are the tools that they're using and strategies that we can learn together from? And then how do we continue to expand those types of services to include this learning piece of it um, in, in meaningful ways? Um, preschool, we, we want to start putting out there 
for people to use in their own context, the different learner profile tools that we're using, um, some of the processes that we engage with with families, some of the workshops that we run. And so we're, we're in the process right now and, and going into 2020 in terms of like trying to package those resources in a way that we can get them out there on our website that people could use. Um, uh, we also have a game that we had created a few years back that mm-hmm. is a great resource for um, like professional development, policy conversations, conversations with funders where you immerse yourself in a year in the life of a, a young adult in today's world, um, teenager kind of a year through the early 20s and and experience how they're navigating learning and life and how a system could be rethought um, to kind of reflect the experience that that young adults are having today. Nice. So if you were, um, you know, leading a, well, you you do have the experience of leading a school. (laughs) Uh, If you were in your role as, as, you know, director of the, of the Odyssey School, how would you take advantage or kind of capture this trend where there's, you know, if, if I say it simply, there's a lot more going out, going on outside school, all these events, stuff happening. Um, your teachers are tired. They're doing a lot of work. They're, they're heroes. And you want to say, you're listening to this and you're like, I need to capture some of that. I need to organize some of these experiences as part of learning so that, you know, school is more exciting and we kind of share the load with the community a little bit. How do you, yeah. what would you do? How would you start going about that? Well, I have two thoughts on that. Um, one, just one clarification. I was never the director. I, I never I know, went I out of the school. Yeah, just, yeah. I just want to make yeah, sure. Yeah, sorry. I was, I, 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 the way I said it, yeah, it wasn't very clear. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I was very involved for a long time, but more yeah. at the board level and yeah. um, early days. Um, so two ideas on on how um, schools can, you know, thinking of their role in, in opening up this more expansive system of learning. One idea is, um, I'll, I'll go back to one of the resources you named earlier, which is Community Share, which started in Arizona um, by a man named Josh Schachter. And Community Share is essentially, he calls it a human library, I think is how he describes it. But it's a way for people who um, live within a community to start to put um, out there their their skills and their talents and things that they would like to engage with people um, and kids in the community around. Uh, and then it also allows educators and teachers who work in schools um, and are looking for other experiences for kids to have a place where they can go look for a match in terms of what they're looking for for kids and what the community has to offer. Um, and it's a place where you're blurring the lines between school and community and, and you're starting to leverage, you know, kind of a broader set of um, experiences and assets in the community. And, and that's a really cool tool um, that uh, gives people access to that information. Um, so that could be something that, you know, mm-hmm. I could see expanding. And I know Josh is looking at, at some ideas around growth and expansion, but beyond that, I actually, I worry about us putting this again on the back of schools to be the ones that have to do this. Like, I feel like if we could get really clear on what schools want to do and should do well, that this idea of how the and part happens, you know, the, the, the um, kind of the learning beyond school, maybe that becomes part of a broader conversation of who owns that, you know, right. like the idea of it being anchored in places of community, like housing authorities or places of employment or community-based organizations that already interact with families, could they hold some of that responsibility um, and 
and work uh, around the, the, the outside of school experiences um, in ways that that don't, you know, kind of put it again on the back of the system. So that that's kind of where we've been focusing a little bit more. Yeah. Now, there still needs to be some interaction between, you know, especially as we want to start validating some of these experiences and, you know, things like credentialing and badging and, and honoring the learning that kids have everywhere. That's where I feel like it needs to then go back to some kind of a system level conversation where that information can be held in a way that kids can continue to build upon, you know, the skills and competencies that they're gaining through all of these experiences and have a way to, to share that and describe it to people. Well, Amy, this is, you know, this is a, a very positive, I said at the start, view and optimistic view of, of the future. I really do hope this is where we're going and that uh, more students have uh, all these options out of school to, to enrich their learning. Um, any, you know, parting thoughts or um, final thoughts for the audience uh, that you want to share? Um, I don't think so. I just think about what I want to share. <laughs> so I mean, if, I, if, 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 how can we support your work? How can we uh, kind of read about your work, support, if possible, the work you're doing with the ballot yeah. initiative, anything that uh, people can do to kind of uh, to help you? Any, anything at all that uh, kind of they can, we can do? Yeah, well, first of all, I guess one thing I would love to share is that if there are people who are listening to this, who are engaging in work that sounds similar in different ways to what we're trying to do here and engaging more directly in kind of a, a family-driven approach to um, to system transformation, I would love to meet you and to hear more about the work you're doing. Uh, on top of that, like it, for anyone who's interested in staying um, involved or uh, following our work going forward, um, we do have a newsletter that we put out periodically. Um, you can sign up for it on the reschoolcolorado.org website. And that's just a way for us to, to keep people engaged in, um, in what we're doing and what we're learning. And then the resources section of our website, um, we're, we're in the process of building that out much more in the coming months. But that's where you can currently download the current version of the Reschool game and play it in your own context. But we are doing a, a next iteration of that game, which will be out in early 2020, which we'll make available to people too, um, as well as other resources that share uh, what we've learned and, and some of the information that we've gathered over the years. Thank you, Amy. Thank you so much. I think those research, I was, I was going through some parts of your website. I think, you know, anyone, any school leader interested in parents, what they're going through, how uh, they're navigating their students learning, their kids learning, they, you know, it's very interesting to read. Like I was reading through your website, and I was just thinking about parents in general. So I'll, I'll put all those links in the show notes. Uh, okay. th thank you, Amy, very much for this. It's been very interesting and keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to School Growth Mastery, brought to you by Enroll Hunt. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe to our show and share this episode with your fellow educators. You can support us by leaving us a positive review on iTunes or your preferred podcasting app. That way more school leaders like you will find us. If you want to learn more about school growth, visit our website at enrollhand.com and please do check out the links in the show notes of this episode. Until next time, goodbye for now.